0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 where we will discuss the planning commissions. The planning commission is not only an advisory body but a deciding body as they have the power to make decisions without counsel, not all the time but sometimes. This makes them a very complex and powerful commission and of all the commissions, they have the most homework. Um, They also meet every 2nd and 4th Wednesday at 6.30pm at City Hall though right now I believe it's all virtual and you can watch on the City YouTube channel and participate via Zoom. Okay. In this episode, I'm going to use two methods that I use often to explain things. Number one is a zooming in and zooming out so that we can better understand the whole picture by understanding each part and how it functions and moves within the system. Number two is analogies for ease of understanding and because I love them. Using these two methods, we will explore what they do, and some historical context, the impacts, and where they are at now. Before that, some basics. What guides, elected officials, city staff, and most commissions, but not all, are two major documents. One, the general plan, which is the San Jose Envision 2040 general plan that we went over a little bit in the first episode. But for clarity, you know this document is a future guide, usually 20 to forty years at a time. Right now it sits a little over 500 pages. It's a guiding document on how we physically shape the city in the next 20 years. You know how many homes, urban villages, parks? What does that all look like? Number two, the city charter. This determines how elected officials and city staff go about executing their work within the general plan and other facets of the city. This is the city's constitution. It is their legally binding framework, but it doesn't cover everything. And where the planning commission comes in is they work in partnership with the planning department staff at the city and city council in executing what is in the general plan. So, these two documents determine a lot of what we will discuss not only in this episode but future episodes. Okay, so what do they do? The Planning Commission is made up of San Jose residents appointed by City Council. The Planning Commission has the responsibility of making recommendations to City Council in roughly five key areas. Number one, Adopt or amend the envisioned San Jose 2040 general plan and specific redevelopment plans within the general plan like the Olum Rock Urban Village plan, which we will get into later. Number two, adopt or amend the land use and redevelopment regulations, including zoning and subdivision. So imagine your house uh, is divided into zones with specific assigned uses. You have your bedroom, your living room, your kitchen. You cook in your kitchen. You don't go set up a hot plate in your bathroom to cook bacon, for example. Now zoom out to your block and to your neighborhood. You have designated areas where all the residential homes are. You have maybe a grocery store, a school. All of those sit in zones. And zoom out to the city. We have areas that are designated as office parks and industrial zones, business districts, etc. Number three, adoption of the Capital Improvement Plan or Program, commonly referred to as CIP. And this is pretty much a budget blueprint of how much is going to cost to say renovate your kitchen or add that extra bedroom, bathroom, fix the fence that's falling over, etc. For cities that looks like parks, roads, and lights and other infrastructure things like that. Number four. They act as an appellate body on certain planning director decisions. And what that means is pretty much sorting out the differences. If there was a disagreement on a decision made by the planning director, the planning commission becomes that deciding body. And number five, they certify environmental impact reports. This is basically looking over the homework and of developers and new projects really to make sure that they're following all of the environmental rules. Now all of this information can be found on the city's website and the link is in the podcast description. The planning commission is not unique to San Jose. Many other US cities have them as well as around the world. For example in LA, because it is so large, I believe the fifth largest city in the US, they actually have a planning commission per district, which is pretty cool. Okay, now history and impact. Let's talk about the purpose, the cause, and effect of the commission. I did some research in San Jose recent history, and last year I also read this really great book by Samuel Stein called Capital City, Gentrification and the Real Estate State. I highly recommend it to anyone wanting to learn more about city planning. The practice of planning is as old as human settlement, and in the United States, it reflects all of the conflicts and contradictions of this country's history that is having quite a moment right now. Going back to the example, indigenous nations planned both stable settlements and migratory villages throughout the Americas, which included residential and commercial areas, as well as open spaces and common areas. And European imperialists and settler colonists built on these plans, and often they often superimpose their street grid over existing native trails. Planning scholar Clyde Woods argues that the United States' first real plan was for the total elimination, marginalization, and exile of indigenous peoples. And they did just that, and they didn't stop there. Fast forward another hundred years or so, Central Park. Central Park was built over the largest settlement in Manhattan, Seneca Village, and also displaced large numbers of Irish and German immigrants who were living on the coveted real estate. The area, the park's West 85th Street entrance, was an important history. During that time, most people lived in Lower Manhattan and everything north remained unsettled. During the 1830s, as more free black people joined the workforce and went into competition for jobs. Lower Manhattan became a very dangerous and violent place for free Black people. When plots of land came up for sale in Uptown, it was a way out and a way to build something new, an affordable and safe space. Seneca Village existed between 1825 and 1857. It was a community predominantly Black, many of whom owned property, and at the time, you had to own property in order to vote. Towards the end, Growing to nearly 300 residents, there were over 50 homes in Seneca Village, three churches, and a school for black children. This was an integrated neighborhood with other white immigrant communities such as the Irish and Germans. They attended church together, they were buried in the same cemetery together, they even married. And despite all of that, New York would move on to set aside 750 acres in what would become America's first landscaped park. Local newspapers also took a part in downplaying who actually lived there, saying it was underdeveloped, people were living in shacks, basically it was the slums. But in 2011, a team of archaeologists excavated the site of Seneca Village in Central Park and found artifacts that suggested it was actually a growing, affluent middle-class neighborhood. Records show a number of people were high school educated, but despite all that, The white elites referred to the village in negative slurs that I will not repeat here, and Seneca Village along with 1,600 other settlements were seized, demolished, and made way for Central Park. These types of projects today would have gone through the Planning Commission. The Planning Commission was established in most US histories in the first half of the 20th century. These largely unelected commissions were often populated by real estate elites who tried to ensure the city planning decisions would stimulate profits or a higher, more diverse tax base. The early history in US planning wasn't about bold experiments and egalitarian design. It was about strategic and systemic attempts to juice the urban land markets for private gain. Ever wonder why unaffordable luxury high-rises or office commercial retail buildings can be built in low-income neighborhoods or communities of color, but affordable housing is not developed in affluent communities? These kinds of inequitable practices in city planning and the residents who refuse integration are deeply rooted in oppression and segregation of class. But that was New York and over 150 years ago. So what is it like now and what is it like now here in San Jose? To answer that question, I'm going to focus on a particular part of the general plan, the section on urban villages. For example, The Stevens Creek Boulevard Urban Village, adopted in 2017, is about 181 pages. It has beautiful graphics. It talks about growth and circulation, land use, parks, plazas. It's a proper plan. It lists about a 32-member task force, and they partnered with two planning consulting firms. And I'm going to let you guess or look into the demographics of the neighborhood by yourself. Now, in comparison, the Alam Rock Urban Village Plan, located in District 5, one of the most diverse areas of San Jose, with more than 40% of its population of immigrant descent, within the proposed development sits a minority sits many minority-owned businesses, the home of Cesar Chavez, a historic San Jose landmark. I personally grew up in this thriving area of San Jose. The alum Rock Urban Village Plan, approved in 2013, is five pages. No fancy graphics, no talks of plazas or parkways, circulation, housing. Nope. Just a few maps on the boundaries and very specific code stipulations. And I went back and looked at some of the community engagement efforts. Displacement was very, very high on the list of a concern expressed by the community. Yet it's not addressed anywhere in the plan. In fact, Alam Rock is the only place in San Jose that operates under this specific code called form-based code planning Which allows developers to pretty much expedite projects based on the appearance of the building not the land use So in form-based planning zones Development applications can simply be approved by the City Planning Commission without council regardless of what that area is zoned for typically If you are proposing, say, a restaurant in the middle of a residential neighborhood that is zoned for single-family housing only, one would have to go through the process and the proper channels of getting a rezoning permit, they might have to go through the environmental impact report, and then go to planning commission, and then be approved by council. All of that is bypassed with form-based code planning. It hardly seems fair, right? This urban village plan was put forth by what it looks like to be one person who is no longer with the city. It was approved by the planning commission in then 2013 and approved unanimously by the city council members which happened to include current Mayor Licardo, council member Camus, and council member Oliverio. I can't say his name, Oliverio, who is now a current planning commissioner. Now, there's no one person that you can fully assign the blame to because it's systematic. And such poor decisions can expose community of colors and low-income communities to aggressive redevelopment without addressing specific community needs, such as protections for existing residents, local small businesses, and all of that will contribute to rapid displacement and gentrification of the Alam Rock neighborhood. I do have some good news though. In light of obvious disparities in the urban village plans, a coalition including San Jose State University's CALM University, a student-led community engagement initiative, the city of San Jose's District 5 office, SOMAS Mayfair, the School of Arts and Culture, and others who provide invaluable services to residents and businesses along the Rock Corridor was created to come up with a real plan and to take into consideration all the things that were not nearly 10 years ago. You can check out the group and their progress at aruva.org, that is A-R-U-V-A, and it stands for the all on rock Urban Village Advocates. So that was a lot, and I'm going to pause here. You can check out part two and episode three as we take a look at the newly appointed planning commissioners. Until then, if you are interested in learning more, please see the links that I've provided in the show notes. Thank you and until next time.